It is wonderful to have you all back. How many, anybody here for the first time tonight? Some first time folks are here. Welcome. Yay. Well, great. Well, you are, you are entering into the fourth week of the Alpha Course. Uh, tonight, when we're done here, you'll have uh, a CD of every one of the previous weeks, including tonight, if you want to catch up, or you can just go to Lakeview Christian Center dot com and uh, watch the videos and uh, we would welcome you to do that. Well, tonight we're on page 24 of our manual, How Can We Have Faith? Uh, I, I, I would rather say this because all we've been talking about over the last three weeks, now we'll do this again tonight, is it's not how can I have faith because all of us do have faith. The question is, what is the object of our faith? Is the object of our faith reliable. And we talked about last week the fact that we can be very sincere about something. We can sincerely believe something. We can sincerely believe something our entire lives and then find out we may have been sincere, but we were sincerely wrong. And so the question that all of us face is, do we want to believe a lie? Nobody wants to believe a lie. I don't want to believe a lie. I want to know the truth. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus said as well. He said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Make you free from what? Will make you free from believing lies. And so, if Jesus actually did say that as recorded in the Gospel of John, he's telling us that the Bible, his word, will give us an understanding, a pathway, a direction, meaning, and purpose for life. So the question, can I be certain about what I believe? Can I be sure? Can I know anything for sure? And, you know, through the years, <clears throat> pardon me, through the years we've, we've uh, you know, myself and maybe some of you have believed and been exposed to some very interesting uh, concepts of what happens. How do we have peace with God? Um, how do we get to go to heaven? Um, and they really, they were all based on, on this, this model that I showed you last week. And I'm not going to so much be concerned about the, the biblical Christian model, but that every religion, whether it's a formal religion or an informal religion, basically says God is here and man is here. And we need to do the best we can to try to reach God. So it's incumbent upon us to be the initiators of somehow trying to be good enough to get God to give us what we want now and, and give us what we want on the other side of our last heartbeat. And so in every religion, whether, again, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, or, or whatever, you just build your own religion type thing, everything is incumbent upon us. Everything. Except the model of biblical Christianity, but we're not going into that right now. But So basically, I grew up having my own meology, as I told you last week, where I basically built God in my own image. And, and basically, if, if we keep the rules, God will have to let us in and not throw us out. But the problem is this, we don't even keep our own rules, right? The heck with the Ten Commandments. And you know what else? We don't keep the rules that we put on other people to keep as well. You thought about that? Not too much, because it's true, and it's painful to think about that. But just to give you a perfect example, I, Annette and I were at the, uh, the, the Weston Arlington Gateway Hotel in Arlington, Virginia, several years ago, and they were very concerned about the way in which uh, people acted in the pool, and so they came up with their own pool rules, because so these are the actual pool rules, I, I kid you not, 
the actual pool rules for the Arlington Gateway Hotel, 801 North Glebe Road. So if you're there, you'll see them. First rule, if you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. But don't use the pool for what is what I'm curious about. Shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. I mean, who doesn't do that, really? I mean, it's like, it's automatic, isn't it? Uh, three, bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults must wear a swim diaper. Now, they give you all these rules, but then the fourth rule tells you they don't believe you're going to keep any of them. Do not drink the pool water. <laughs> so they give you the rules and then they don't expect you to drink them so they can avoid a lawsuit. So last week we looked at scriptures that, that present a rather challenging and dismal view of us. Where the Bible tells us that we have sinned, every human has sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God. That there's none of this that is right in God's sight. That all of us have an in, innate problem that we are incapable of fixing on our own. That we all have sinned. And there's plenty of evidence to that. Last, last week when we used the, for those of you who are here, you remember the, the, the thought monitor. Where not only what we say and what we do can be exposed, but what we think is exposed. So it's, it's really universal that we, that as man, because we can't stand the scrutiny of knowing that there's a God, and we know that there's a God, innately we know that there's a God from the conscience that we have. Externally, we look at the order in the universe, and it's pretty difficult to believe that there's not a universal, intelligent designer. So we come up with a way to design and, and to develop a view of God where we define how good we need to be based on our own meology, basically. Our validating performance record to earn the acceptance of a supreme being, whoever he, she, or it may be. And from, and from the comparative religion model that I just showed you a moment ago, uh, there's some examples that you may be able to identify with, and I sure could. So let me just show you a couple of these models. Maybe, maybe God grades on a curve, okay? You get to heaven, God grades on a curve. He's not going to flunk the whole class, is he? And so... Maybe grades on a whole curve. Now, at 50%, if God grades on a curve, how are most of you feeling? I'm better than at least half the world, right? Well, what, well, what if he what is 75%? How, how certain are you feeling about where you'll end up? You're better than 75% of the world. Better than 90% of the world. Now, how much certainty, how much assurance do you have of where you're going to spend life on the other side of your last heartbeat hoping that God grades on a curve. See, I, if, if it's 50%, I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be about right there. But is any of us going to flunk ourselves? Anybody just here just really hate themselves so much you, you want to fail? I hope not. But really, when we think about life based on a curve and a relationship with God based on a curve, there is no certainty you hope you die on a good day where you have a good streak running. But maybe that's foolish. But maybe, maybe there are scales in heaven. 
Okay, and, and God just takes your, 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 your bad works and then he takes your good works. How are you feeling about right now if that's you? How's that? But the question here is, who determines what's good and what's bad? Who determines... I mean, you know, I, I used to help my, my, my grandmother across the street. I picked up groceries for her and everything else. But the reason I did it is I wanted to be in her inheritance. You see, I wanted to be an heir. And so, so even the, the things that I wanted to do, I, they were really about me. So things I could call good could actually be selfish. So if God has a scale in heaven, how certain are you if that's where, if, if, where you're going to spend eternity? Is there any certainty in that? Now, honestly, I mean, no, these are kind of goofy and we're laughing about it. But is there any certainty in that? Because really, this, this would have been me. I would have, I would have fallen for this. But there cannot be any certainty if you or I are looking for our own good works to be good enough, whatever good enough is. Have you defined what good enough is? Well, the Bible clearly defines what's good enough and what's not good enough. And according to the Bible, none of us is good enough. Now, maybe, you know, things in heaven can get kind of boring. And, you know, harps and clouds and little fat little angels and things like this. I mean, how, you know, and maybe things get a little boring after a while and God comes up with a game show. And the game show that God comes up with is called Hot or Not. Okay. And the, and the way you play the game show... Okay, that's enough. Stop. Okay. And the way you play this game show is, first off, you have to be dead. All right, so I need some dead contestants here right now. All right. So um, let me see here. Mike, why don't you play Hot or Not with me? Okay, so this is the way Hot or Not is played. You, you can sit down. It's fine. Um, you're standing there, and there is a massive roulette wheel where every person that's ever lived is on that roulette wheel. God will spin the roulette wheel, and whoever comes up next to you well, it'll determine if you are hot or not. Got that? Okay, so let's go. Okay, I've spun the wheel. You just say stop and we'll just see who comes up next to you. Just say stop whenever you want. <laughs> oh! What do you think? You're not sure? <laughs> oh, yeah, not. <laughs> Uh, I hope you're right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Lauren, let's see if you're going to be hot or not. Just say stop whenever. Oh! Kind of looks like Mike. If you're... <laughs> All right, Chris, you're here for the first time. Let's see if you're going to be hot or not. Stop. Oh! Would the ushers please come and uh, escort Chris? Now, that is really dumb. I mean, that's really stupid. But when you think about how much you and I don't think about this and just kind of have this haphazard, gray-like, hope-so, think-so, every way in which you and I think is, is haphazardly random. And we hope. Hope we die on a good day. And so, 
basically, when you and I look at this, there's no way, based on your and my own doctrine, meology, theology, that we even know where we stand based on our own thoughts. We hope so. I'm better than Hitler. I'm better than Osama bin Laden. But what if they don't come up on the roulette wheel next to me? Well, let me just go ahead and break this to you real quick. Um, some of you tonight, your food was poisoned. Now, the way you know whether it was you or not that your food was poisoned is that you're feeling sleepy right now. It's not me. It's not me. It's, it's, it's the food. But let's just, let's just say that were true. And suddenly, you know, your head hits the the plastic table you're gone next thing you know you are in the presence of Jesus Christ okay let's just take a deep breath you're in the presence of God and he asks you this question now think about this with me I really want you to think about this with me because this I had to think about this when I was asked this question the first time Jesus is standing there you're dead you're in his presence and he asks you this question why why should I let you into my heaven think about that think about that if you were to stand in front of Jesus Christ and he were to ask you why should I let you into my heaven what would your answer be See, that answer, either right now you were doing what I did a long time ago, and that is formulate, try to put together all the good things and all the reasons God should let me in and not evict me. And those would all be based upon my works, my efforts. And I really wouldn't be thinking much about intention. So think about that. Maybe y'all can talk about a little bit about, about that at your table tonight. But let's look at uh, in the Bible when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome. Look at what Paul has to say about this thought of earning our way to God's acceptance. Paul writes this, But if it, that is salvation, a relationship with God, is by grace. Remember last week we talked about what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It's getting something I don't deserve. I'm not worthy of. It's grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? It can't be both. It can't be both dark and light at the same time. It's either dark or it's light. It's either grace or it's works. It cannot be both. So if the Bible is the truth, that's something maybe you're struggling with, but if the Bible is the truth, well, whether it's the truth or not, this is what it's saying. It's saying, you and I, in a million lifetimes, reincarnations, cannot ever be good enough to earn our way to God. If it's by grace, if it's by receiving the gift, it can't be by working for it. See, on, 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 we, we talked about this at our, our table last week. Um, Christmas, anybody ever celebrate Christmas in this room? Okay, good to see some of you have celebrated Christmas. Big Christmas tree, right? Tree, presents under the tree. Got that? Parents are there. 
You're, let's just say we're all kids. Parents are there with the gifts. Did, did you ever go get the gift under the tree and, and mom was sitting there with the cash register ready to collect for the, for the presents under the tree? Hopefully that, you never experienced that. Right, because they're, they're gifts. They're not things you work for. God gives us the gift of salvation when he gives us his, his son. So, page 24. Why don't we go to page 24 with that? The Bi- How can we have faith? Look, the Bible teaches that God wants you and me to know for sure, with as much certainty as humanly possible, what our standing is before him. And whether heaven is going to be our home the split second after we leave this planet, after our heart stops. And look, if I, if I could have a desire tonight or a, could have my way tonight, every one of us in this room will leave here tonight certain, absolutely certain that either you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ based on what the Bible says, that it is by God grace by the work of Jesus Christ and his cross or you do not because we're going to see in a little bit that there is no middle ground there is no neutral ground there is no median median if you will and so that would be my hope now if if you've got your manual I just want you to write this little sentence down here Christianity is first Becoming someone before it's doing something. Christianity is first becoming someone before it's doing something or doing anything. Now I know that may sound like a strange thought. Um, but we're going we're gonna to unpack that and we're gonna, I think we're going to have a good time. Christianity is first becoming someone before... It's doing something. Let me share a scripture with you. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the Greek city, where there were churches established. And this is what Paul writes. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Now, I know most of us in this room are not familiar with that scripture. But I want us to just kind of break it apart for a moment. And there's a word that sticks out here to me in the same word twice, in a different word once. When someone, what's the word there? The third word in the sentence. Becomes a Christian. He what? Becomes a brand new person. A new life has begun. So we're seeing that that. The scripture is telling us that when one accepts Christ, receives the gift, he becomes, she becomes someone she never was before, a new creation, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And you can't become something you already are, can you? You can't become somebody you already are. If I say, become a male rooster, uh, a male rooster, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Alright, that's dumb. Okay, but I, 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 that was not intentional, which is really frightening. Okay. okay, 
So we can't become something we already are. So let's just follow along with me here as I just read. It's a long quote that I had, so I just put it on the board. According to the Bible, becoming a Christian or a follower of Jesus has nothing to do with joining or being born into a church denomination, signing a membership card, getting our bodies wet in a religious ceremony at any age, or attending meetings where Jesus' name is mentioned. It's not about us turning over a new leaf, but it is about God giving us new life. Not about making resolutions to change ourselves or hoping to improve ourselves. Becoming a new creation on the inside is what specifically and uniquely defines biblical Christianity. A new life has begun. And so the Bible teaches this, and this is going to be something I think that may run contrary to where most of us have thought. It's certainly the way I had thought. The Bible teaches that you and I are born physically as creations of God, creatures of God. But we are born spiritually as children of God. Now hear that. In other words, the Bible doesn't say we're all children of God. We're all creations of God. But it does not teach that every one of us is a child of God. And again, don't believe me. Don't believe anything I'm saying. We're going to look at the scripture. We're going to see what the Bible says. Here's John. John's gospel, first chapter. 12th verse. Yet to all who... Now, pay attention to these words. Those who received him, to those who believed, we're going to talk about what believed means in just a minute, in his name, he gave the right to what? Become children of God. So you can't become a child of God if you already are a child of God, can you? At least that's what it's saying. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. There's this birthing, it sounds like, that God does. See, and in the third chapter of John, this is what Jesus says. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Okay? Haws gives birth to haws. Scalise gives birth to Scalise. Loria gives birth to Loria. Got that? That's easy, right? But spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be. Jesus speaking to this very astute religious man, Nicodemus. You must be born again or you must be born spiritually if you're going to become a child of God. And so we're born fleshly. We're born in the flesh, in this body of our physical parents. But the scripture tells us that God, to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, God births us and gives us new birth spirit that we become new creations. So the Bible talks about being in Adam and in Christ. It teaches that the entire human race was born children of 
Adam. That's why there's none righteous, not even one. The ramification of that is death. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the fact that God said to Adam, the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. We talked about the fact that death is not annihilation, but separation. separation. Thank you. And that when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they died to their relationship with God. They were separated from Him. And so all of humanity was placed into Adam. As I said, the ramifications of that sin by Adam has us in a, a difficult situation. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul talked about this and he wrote this. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Okay, that one man is Adam. Through that man, sin entered into the world. And death, separation from God, through that sin. That wanting to be the captain of his fate and the master of his soul. Wanting to do things his way. And so death spread. That separation spread to all men because all sinned. So do do we see what that's saying? When death spread to all men because all sinned, what we happened to do is we inherited and we passed on Adam's nature. He passed it on to us. And so all sinned. Anybody in this room? We know. I've already asked you guys last week how many of you have kept the Ten Commandments your entire lives. And I didn't get one hand. Not one hand. So then, verse 18, as through one transgression, that one That one transgression of taking the fruit and rebelling against God, there resulted condemnation to all men. Now here's the good news. Even so, through one act of righteousness... Now what was that act of righteousness? This was God sending His Son and His perfectly righteous Son living a perfectly righteous life. Remember last week we talked about that. Bore our sins in His body. That we could be, might be, justified, redeemed, and made right before God. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification. Right? Made just, made declared not guilty, as that word means. And life, life beyond our last heartbeat to all men. For as through one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, that is the obedience of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. How? By believing and receiving. So, let's take a a look at this a little bit. So, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I want to show you this diagram. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, For in Adam... All die. Now, I brought two masterpieces that I created for you today. Um, I will sign them if you'd like and auction them off. So this this A cup right here. A cup right here. Um, in Adam, stop it. Um, in Adam, this is Adam. In Adam, what's the Bible say? All die. In Adam, all die. So let's take a look at what that means. So there's Adam. There's you. Um, who can I just 
just really have a fun time with right now. Mike, again, Mike doesn't want this again. Can't do Mike twice. Okay, I'll do Mike twice. Okay. This is much easier than last week. Okay. So, Mike, let's say that's you. What if your mom and dad had never been? Where would you be? Nowhere. Very good. Now, what if your mom and dad's mom and dad had never been? Where would they be? Nowhere. Yeah. And what about your mom and dad's mom and dad, mom and dad? Where would they be? Same. So, Mike, who's your daddy? <laughs> God. Adam. Right. Correct. Adam. So if you just go up lineage, every one of us is born into Adam and we inherit his nature of sin. And it's all over us. You look just like him. Okay, if you're Italian, you look like me. Right? But if we're of Adam, we look just like Adam. We do selfish stuff. We say stupid things. We just act like our father. We look just like our father, Adam. And so in Adam, all die. Hell, death, separation from God. But God gives Christ. And Christ gives his life. So that you and I can be given life. See, in Christ, the many shall be made Alive, And so as long as we are in Adam, we are in death. But once we are placed into Christ, we are taken out of Adam and given life in Christ. We are placed into him. His life is placed into us. And so we are taken out of Adam, placed into Christ, and made alive. And so, if any man, any woman, any boy, any girl is in Christ, he is a new creation. Why are you new? Because the person that you were in Adam, God dealt away with through the cross of his son when you and I believed it and received it. If any man or woman is in Christ, he's new. The old things, the old things have passed away, gone. I have to clean that up. Um, all things become new. So when God looks at you and he looks at me, he sees a new you and a new me in Christ. He doesn't see you new because you tried to be better and you came to the Alpha Course and doesn't that count for something? No, it counts for nothing. Maybe a few pounds. But that's about it. <laughs> but if you're in Christ... What is in Christ? Is there going to be anything that unacceptable to God in Christ? Anything dark in Christ? No. And so God takes you and me and he forgives us and he accepts us like he accepts his son. And now when he sees you and me based on our belief in the completed work of God's son on the cross, he sees us forgiven, accepted, and in him. If that's true, there is no better news. You have to agree with that. If that is true, there's no better news. For now, as long as we're on this planet, and when we breathe our last and our heart stops, there is no greater news than that. And that's what it looks like if you're in Adam's family, and so you need to avoid that. Forget. Don't, don't be here. Don't, don't be here.
Okay. Okay. That's why this is free, by the way. This is why. So what if God wants you and me to know for sure? What if God's intention is that you and I would know for sure our standing with him? Well, the Bible teaches clearly that he does. He tells us clearly, the wages of your sin, Frank, is separation from me. And I want you to know that. No matter how many church services, how many prayers, how much good you do, it's not good enough because you're doing all of that. Oh, I messed up my prop. You're doing all of that in Adam. You're not mine. They're nice things. You can do good things in Adam. But they're still in Adam things. It's not a question of fair. It's not fair. It's not a question of fair. It's a question of inheritance. I inherited this. I was talking to Ferd the other day. If Ferd's dad dies and leaves him $10 million, and my dad dies and leaves me $10,000 in debt, I can say, well, that's just not fair. It's not a question of fair. It's a question of inheritance. And we inherited what our father, Adam, left us. And that's why we look like we do. Some worse than others, some better than others. But nonetheless, in Adam, the wages of sin has us in Adam. But in Christ, we're taken out of Adam. And God wants us to know for sure whether we are in Adam or in Christ. And so, what what does the Bible say? Well, let's just take a look at a couple of scriptures here. This is John's first letter. This is not in the Gospel of John, but it's John's first epistle. It's the fifth chapter. And this is what John says. He who has the Son... Cannot, you get that? He who has the Son. He who possesses the Son. Who is in Christ. He who is in Christ has the life. He who does not have the Son. He who is in Adam. Does not have the life. Got that? In Christ you have the life. In Adam you don't have the life. These things I write to you who believe... In the name of the Son of God, so that you may hope you have eternal life. I left that blank. How would you fill that in if you didn't know what that scripture said? Keep your fingers crossed that you have eternal life. Pray that you have eternal life. It doesn't say that. I will tell you that there is not a religion in the world except for biblical Christianity. It doesn't make biblical Christianity true, but I'm just telling you this is the truth. That will tell you you can know for sure. It will tell you you can hope. You better die on a good day. It will tell you you can do the best you can. But you cannot know. And please test me on that. But this is what God leads John to write. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know you have eternal life. You may know that you have eternal life. You and I can be sure if God wants you and me to be sure. And according to his word, he wants us to be sure. You can know that you have eternal life. And so, the word of God tells us that God is 
the initiator, that he's the one who initiates. So let's just go back to Romans chapter 5. Okay. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See that? He, show, he initiates his love for us. He doesn't wait for us to get better. You'd be waiting a long time. He shows his love for us that while we were still doing our own things, still in Adam, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified, declared not guilty because the fine was paid. Remember that from last week. The fine was paid, so we are not guilty in God's sight. Much more shall we not only be found not guilty, but welcomed into him. Not just forgiven, not guilty, but accepted, saved, brought into Christ. That's good news. God initiates. God initiates that. Now, let me share one more scripture here. We'll go back hundreds of years before Jesus to the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what Ezekiel writes. This is what God has Ezekiel write. And here's God speaking through Ezekiel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. That is a picture of every one of us outside of Christ. It's a picture of every one of us in Adam. Do you see that? I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Or he will be the father of his children. And I myself, as you see the initiation of God, I will make them lie down. What is that picture of lying down? When do sheep lie down? When they're scared to death and they have no certainty. They don't know whether they're going to be a dinner for a wolf. No, they lie down when they are secure and certain of their faith position, of their of their standing with God. That's when they lie down. I will seek the lost. Do you know what that means? You don't find God. I didn't find God. He came looking for me. He did a door-to-door search for me. He came knocking on my door, waiting for me to respond. He's the one that came searching for me. He sought the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. (laughs) Yeah. And I will bind up the injured or the broken hearted. And I will give strength to the weak. See, God is the one that comes looking for us to heal us, to deliver us, to bring us rest and life and joy that nothing this world can give us. At best, it's temporary. And then in John, this is what John says. My sheep, those are the ones that he's calling to himself, hear my voice. Just think about that. You've heard several things over the last few weeks. And maybe if this is brand new to you, but maybe you're hearing like you've never heard before. Well, that's not because of me. That's not because of Pastor Keith. That's not because they're your wonderful table hosts. That's because there's something God is doing that I believe is causing you to hear. Maybe like you've never had before. And maybe it's unsettling. Or maybe you've never felt so comfortable and fulfilled in your whole life. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not you. 
But my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Here's good news. God knows us. According to the Bible, he knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And they follow me. And look at what it says. I give eternal life to them. It does not say, and they convince me because they've been good enough that I will allow them to earn eternal life. It doesn't say anything remotely resembling that. I give my life, eternal life, right? Who's eternal? God. When you get eternal life, you get God's kind of life, that kind of life that makes us acceptable to him. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. On the other side of your last heartbeat, you will just pass from one, that physical body into a new body that God will give us. But no death. That spirit that is alive in you and me who are in Christ now will go on and into eternity is what Jesus is saying. They will never perish. And look at this. this is, if there's any good news. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I think of the word snatch. Snatch is like you got surprised. You're on Canal Street with your purse, ladies. And somebody snatches your purse because you weren't paying attention. God's always paying attention. He is never not, if the scriptures are true, he is never not paying attention to you deeply, intimately. No one shall snatch you. Now, does that sound like certainty? Does that sound like assurance? It does to me. It does to me. And I believe that's what God is trying to get across to us. So we have security because we're birthed into and joined to and held onto by Christ. When we receive him, if we believe this, it is his strength that holds you and me, not our strength that holds you and me. He says, okay, I got you now, but you better hold on to the rest of the way. That's not, it's his strength that brings us to himself, and it's his strength that holds us to himself. And so, I think we're all the way to page 25 now. We're really motoring along here. Um, Faith, you see where it says, faith equals taking God's promises and daring to believe them. God, taking God's promises and daring to believe them. In other words, if, if God offers us eternal life, he says, I've done this for you. It is incumbent upon us to receive them. Let me just give you an example of this. Back in, uh, I think it was 1859, a guy by the name of Blondin took a tightrope and he stretched it across the rapids of Niagara Falls. And he did amazing things with, uh, on that tightrope. And one thing he did was he took a wheelbarrow and he went to the crowd and he said to them, do you believe I can take a person, put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side of the falls to the other? And you can imagine if you were asked that question. Just imagine you being asked that question. Herman, I can take a man, put him from one side of the, take, take a wheelbarrow, put him in a wheelbarrow, take him from one side of the falls to the other. And you, you may say, well, I'm not so sure. Well, let me just do this. And what Blondin actually did was he took his manager, put him in the wheelbarrow, took him from one side of the, fall, to the, of the rapids at the area of the falls to the other. And so he came back and he said, Herman, do you believe I can take a man, put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side of the falls to the other? 
That doesn't sound like you really are sure. <laughs> what do you think? I believe you can take someone else. You believe you can take someone else? <laughs> That's a good answer. But if you, believe, if you say, yes, I do, then Blodin is going to say, then get in. Because that's what it means to believe. It's not mental assent. It's not belief for somebody else. Believe means get in. See, and, and tonight we're here, maybe, you know, maybe we're curious. You've come these three or four weeks, or here, you're here for the first night, and you're like, I don't, know, I don't know if I believe the Bible. I don't know if I believe anything about Jesus. I, I don't know, but I'm curious. Thank you for being here curious. Stay here curious for as long as you want. That is not our job to convince you of what is the truth and what is not. We're going to share with you clearly what we believe from the Bible. I make no apologies for that. But thanks for being here, just where you are, wherever you are in your search. Or maybe you're here, you're convinced. In other words, you've seen Blondin do his deal, and you believe he can take a man or a woman and put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side of the falls to the next, but you're not getting in. In other words, you've gone to church, you said your prayers, but this level of surrender, this level of trust, this level of giving all that I am to God and trusting Him for my past, present, and future, that's a little deeper than I'm used to. Never heard anything about that. So I'm aware of Jesus and I kind of believe this and I do go to church and I do pray, but this hole into the wheelbarrow surrender thing I'm just not so sure about thank you for being here just like that you're, you're, in, you're in wherever you are in your search and in your process and thank you for letting us talk to you like we are and to be with you like we are thank you or maybe you're here committed you've gotten in that wheelbarrow you believe with all your heart you didn't always believe with all your heart you're saying, I believe for somebody else, or I don't believe it at all, but somewhere along the line, you believed. And you were committed. Doesn't mean that you were committed, like I'm going to give it all I got now. That means you were committed. Now, hear me. You were committed to Christ's commitment. In the case of Blondin, you were committed to Blondin's commitment to get you from one side of the falls to the other. Do you see the difference? Because we think of commitment as, okay, I'll start going to church. Okay, I'll start giving away my money. Okay, I'll start telling people about Jesus. Okay, I'll go to Bourbon Street with a blowhorn. Okay, I'll do all these other things. Uh, no, 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 no. You missed it. I will be surrendered to Blondin's ability to get me from earth to heaven. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? From one side of the falls to the next. I'll be committed to his commitment. I'll be surrendered to his ability, not my own. Believe me, there's no lying down like we just saw that scripture if it's incumbent upon me to stretch that, that get in that wheelbarrow or take myself across. And so, it's an interesting thought. Maybe tonight y'all can talk about that. Where, where are you? What, what are you thinking about? Another way to look at this is... Um, what does it mean to believe? Well, let me just take my wife, Annette, and me, and let's just say we're standing at the altar. It's our wedding day. And uh, she's more beautiful than she was the day I met her and married her. <laughs> she really is, but... Um, my sight is going... A little, no. <laughs> uh, 
I will pay for that. Um, no, I mean that. She knows I mean that. So we're standing at the altar, and, and the, the minister says to me, Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, well, Reverend, she's a beautiful woman, and I'll be proud to have her on my arm. He says, Frank, we all agree that Annette's a beautiful woman, but do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, she's a great cook, and I know I will never go hungry. That's Frank. Frank, that's good. And I know we've all eaten some of Annette's meals, and we agree with you. She's a, she's a good cook. But Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, I mean, her daddy's rich. The day he kicks, we're going to be in pretty good shape. So I think that's, you know. Um, but do you take Annette to be your wife? You see, I can believe all the right things about Annette and never say two words. I do. Because until you say I do, you didn't. You haven't. And the same thing with Jesus. I can believe all the right things about him, so to speak, and never say I do. See, the Bible in a way teaches that 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple of years, Jesus hanged from a cross and as he was saying, now, now do this, put yourself there if you can. Here is this cross where Jesus is dying. He is beaten to a pulp. He is a bloody mess. And you are there at the foot of the cross. You're not having to look up very high. But you're there at the foot of the cross and you look at him square in the face. And he looks at you and he says to you, I take you to be my own for better or worse sickness and health till death do you depart your body and he looks at you and he says with all the sincerity and all the love that you could ever imagine seeing and hearing and he says to you I do and for 2000 plus years he has waited patiently for your answer not, I think you're good, I think you're powerful, I think you're righteous, I think you're holy. But when you say I do, you know at every, at every wedding, there's a funeral. You do know that, don't you? There's a death to singleness. And there's a coming together to be one. See, you'll no longer be two, but one. And so when I say I do to Jesus, he makes me one with him and places me into him. And no one will snatch me out of his hand. That's how deeply he loves me and is committed to me. And so believing means getting in. It means receiving the gift. It means saying I do. Okay, almost done here. Um, 
So when we look at this being the work of Jesus, we see again that it is, it is, it is either a gift or it is not. When Jesus hanged there on the cross, he did all of the work for those of us who could not do anything worthy of forgiveness. So he loved us and he died to prove it. Now I'm going to pass on a couple of scriptures here. And I want to go to the point of the witness. Well, I'll I'll hit one scripture. One scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And look at what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus. For it is by grace you've been saved. He's talking now to those who've gotten in the wheelbarrow, those who said I do, those who've received the gift. For it is by grace you are saved. Saved By grace you are saved by being taken out of Adam and being placed into Christ. And that is through faith. And that is not from yourselves. Even the, even the faith that you and I have, the Bible says, is the gift that God gives us so that we will believe. It is the gift of God. It is not by works. So that no one can, no one can boast. No one can say, I did it my way. I earned my way to heaven. Let's look at the witness of the Spirit. So when one... I was talking to a a friend just a little bit ago, and and I have this experience often, this opportunity often. There is a witness that God gives us that we have become children of God. Ah, You know. Suddenly you think differently. You're... You're, you're, maybe, you're maybe more aware of your language than you ever were before. <laughs> uh, you're more peaceful. You've actually, you've actually begun to read the Bible and it's making sense. Uh, there's relationships that used to have friction but don't have friction. There's a, there's a depth of desire of deeper and deeper meaning in life. Those are all, according to the Bible... Witnesses of the Spirit. Uh, The Scripture says that it is the Spirit who testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit of God confirms that we are His. That's what He does. And I can't tell you the numbers of times I have heard of that and had experienced that and know that for myself. So those evidences, a new and deeper love for God and for others... A change of attitude, a change of motivation. Um, I, I, I look to, to love other people, not so they will accept me and give to me, but because I know I've been loved so much and been given so much. There's, there's a total transformation in my motivation. And I, I would encourage you tonight, maybe ask your table host, did you know that? How that would that look like in your life? When did you know? How did you know? When did you say I do? What did that mean? And so again tonight, I just want, to, I want us to know this. What we're talking about has nothing to do with what your, what your denomination is. Has nothing to do with where you go to church. Has nothing to do with any of that. This is all about you and Jesus. When I got married to my wife, it was about Annette and Frank. Period. And when you get married, so to speak, to Jesus, it has nothing to do with church affiliation, denomination. It has nothing to do with that. So please don't hear that when I'm, that I'm telling you about something that's contrary to wherever your 
go to church or what your traditions are. This is between you and God and where you are. And then relinquishing control of your life to Him and then letting Him take you where He desires you to be because He knows what's best. And so again, I would, I would encourage us tonight in terms of how do I do that? How do I say I do? Well, the way you say I do is this. I do. I do. Because God sees the heart long before what comes out of the mouth. But if it's what's in my heart, it's going to come out of my mouth. So when I said better, worse, sickness, health, Richard, poor to my wife, Annette. And when she said that to me, it was because in my heart it had already been established there. And when it comes to God, what has been established there is a desire to know Him and to be one with Him, to be forgiven by Him, to be accepted by Him, to be led by Him, to be comforted by Him, to simply be His and His alone. Turning away from my old life in Adam, repenting of that, if you will, that religious word, which just means enough of that, I'm turning around. And it's you who are giving me the strength to turn around. And so I would just, as we're closing right here, I'm just going to um, bring this, this little prayer to us. Again, nothing magic about this, but I, I just right now, I know we're in a room full of 160, 70, 80 people, but let it just be you right now. Could, could we do that? Just you and Jesus and an altar and Him saying, I want you now and forever. Not about you being good or bad. Not about you being rich or poor. Not about you being sick or healthy. He said, I want you just like you are. Don't try to clean yourself up because you can never clean yourself up enough. Just come just like you are. That's how I want you. And this prayer here, this just conversation, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. Do you know that yet? I hope so. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I just want to encourage you to pray this. If this is what's in your heart, just say these words that are in your heart. I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Amen. Now, um, next week, we will... The, the manual has us going to how and why sh- do I pray. We're going to not do that. We're going to do session number six. How and why do I read the Bible? So next week we're going to be talking about the Bible. More evidence to the Bible. And how do I begin to read the Bible? How does it make sense to me? What do I do? It's a big book. But that's what we're going to talk about next week. And get a little bit more into this. So thank you all so much for coming. Appreciate you being here. Let's take a quick break. There's still some coffee. And let's get back to our tables. Thank you all.